0: Tonight we are going to be in the book of James, and we're going to finish the book of James. If you'd turn with me to James chapter 5, we left off in verse 13, and we'll go down to uh, verse 20. If you would read with me in James uh, chapter 5, verse 13, going to uh, verse 20. Is there anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he turns a sinner from the error of his way. Who will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins? Let's pray together. Father, it's not just our desire to to know this section of scripture academically, to understand what it means, but to apply it to our lives. And so many times we live in hiding, not being broken before you and broken before one another. And God, we just invite your presence here among us and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you have your way? Would you begin already to soften our hearts to convict us of sin, give us a willingness to be transparent, and we pray that what would result is that there would be healing, that you would do a work that only you can do, that we would see that the value and the power of prayer forgive us when we don't believe in the power of prayer. God, we don't want to limit you. If you want to bring physical healing, we see the text, we see your word. If you choose not to, we, we believe in you. So, Lord, we welcome you into this time, and we pray that you would bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. Transparency. More and more, as a culture and a society, we are not living in transparency, are we? It seems like there's something new that comes out about the government that was potentially being, being hidden, or something that's in this aspect of our, our culture, our society, or, or our lives, where we tend to have something that is hidden. And in this section of scripture, we're called to live in honesty before God, but also to live in honesty before one another. And transparency is to have nothing hidden. There's not a, not a part of our lives that that is hidden. To be a, an open book. And church, I've got to tell you that this is a great way to live—to be open before God, to be open before others. When it, We're trying to cover our tracks when we're in sin against God, and we're in rebellion against God. We don't want anyone to, to find out. That's a lot of work. It's, it's exhausting. And that conviction that we feel before the Lord, that weight of, of the Holy Spirit. So as we approach the scriptures tonight, it's, it's our prayer that we would respond to it. That before we leave tonight, that we would be willing to open up to another brother or sister in Christ and confess faults to one another, That when we're suffering, that we would ask for prayer. It seems like, in a lot of ways, we live our lives in isolation. We're saying, I'm not going to be transparent, I'm going to hide. If I'm going through suffering, I'm just going to pick myself up. I'm going to try harder, I'm going to do better, and I'm not going to ask for prayer. I can get through this suffering on my own, and it's going to be my badge of honor. The first sin, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, how did they respond to their sin? Genesis chapter 3 tells us that they hid themselves from God. That's how we tend to respond to to our sin. The Father, he asks the question, he says, "Where are you?" How do you hear the voice of God? Do you hear it in condemnation, "Where are you?" Or do you hear a loving Father pursuing relationship with a broken heart, "Where are you?" But that was their first response to sin. In Genesis chapter 3 and not a lot's changed. You know if a young child does something wrong what's their tendency to want to do? They want want to hide what, what they've done wrong. If we've done something wrong as adults and we think we can get away with it what's our tendency? We're going to hide that sin. And really what God is doing is he's calling us out of hiding. He's, he's calling us into the light. And some of you are already in your mind, you're starting to argue and you're saying, well, why do I have to confess to another brother or sister in Christ? Isn't it God who forgives? Doesn't the scripture say if we confess our sins that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? You're right, 1 John 1.9. But also here, God's showing us the value of relying upon the the body of Christ and having the prayer support of other believers that that's when the healing comes in our lives. That's when deliverance comes in our lives. It's all from the Lord. Forgiveness is from the Lord. Deliverance is from the Lord. But God wants to use the prayers of his body. James 4 and 5 really centers around humility. Talk about humility as having to express, confess your faults to another believer. I'll just stick with God. I'll I'll just ask God, but with everybody else, I want to put this facade on that I don't have faults, that I don't have transgressions. So tonight, can we agree to not pretend, okay? The reality of the gospel is what? That we're all sinners, that we fall short of the glory of God. And so instead of thinking that there's no one that needs to confess faults, the reality of scripture is we all have faults, we, we all have sin. And the enemy would want us to be comparing ourselves with others, to be walking in shame, walking in pride, to be guarding our reputation, to think, well, I would never share with, with someone else. I bet that there may be some things in your life that maybe you've never shared with anyone, and God tonight, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is gonna urge you to share with the right person and open up your heart and your life. This is where God does his greatest work. When we live in isolation, it leads to more failure. It leads to more sin. It leads to more temptation. That's exactly where Satan wants us to be. But when we open up to God, and we open up to one another, then God does his work of healing. So verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. It's amazing when the body of Christ gathers together they we're all in different places in our lives. I'm sure for some of you, you're happy. You are cheerful. Maybe you just got a promotion. Maybe you can't think of a, a trial in your life. It's just one of those seasons of blessing from God. And the scripture says, if you're cheerful, don't feel bad about it. Don't, don't come into church and, and hang your head and go, well, I'm sure people are getting their worlds rocked, so... It's not very polite for me to be cheerful. We're robbing God of his glory. If you're cheerful, then sing. Then sing to the Lord with the joy and the gratitude that's in your heart. God is glorified in your thanksgiving. In Ephesians 4, verse 32, it says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And if you're suffering, then pray. Pray crying out to the Lord from the depths of your heart. The scripture is filled with people that are broken over their own sin, broken over their circumstances, and they give it over to God, and they pray. I was talking with a man in our fellowship. He's been a friend for a long time, and this year he celebrated his 90th birthday. He's been walking with the Lord for, for a long, long time. And I had some questions, and he had some things to share with me, and One of the things that stuck out is he says, Eric, prayer is a believer's greatest resource. That was the answer that he gave me to the questions I was asking How do you navigate this? How do you solve this? How do you go through this? And he directed me back to prayer. He says, We don't realize what we have in prayer. And this is God's instruction if you're suffering, is pray. This does not sell books in America, right? We want to analyze the problem. We want to figure out how we're going to fix it. And there's some value to those things, but secondary to going to the Lord in prayer, finding refuge in him, crying out to him. What I like about this is it, it doesn't categorize the suffering, it may be financial difficulty, go to the Lord in prayer. Maybe challenges in relationships, go to the Lord in prayer. Maybe physical challenges, struggles with sin. It doesn't matter. Whatever the suffering is, go to the Lord in prayer. He's listening, He's your, he's your loving Father. He's not a respecter of persons. Because of the blood of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Christ, we have open access into the very throne room of God. What if you had an audience with people that you were convinced could do something about your problem? They had the wisdom, they had the life experience, they had the financial resources. Would you take advantage of that audience? How much more so would God? We get to come into his presence. If you're suffering, pray, and if you're cheerful, then sing. And guess what? These two can coexist together inside of the body in unity and not be in competition. We can share space together. Why? Because as a body, we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. So even if we're in a time of suffering and somebody else is in a time of blessing, we don't get jealous. We don't go, oh man, I wish that I could be experiencing the blessing. From the bottom of our hearts, we go, I'm so excited for you man, I rejoice with you, God is good. And then if we're in a time of rejoicing, we weep with those that weep, don't we? We don't try to fix it, we don't try to solve it, we just sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to weep with you. And aren't you thankful that we're not all sad at the same time, (laughs) you know? That that would be a a bummed out church, wouldn't it? So it's appropriate that some would be in a season of blessing and others would be in a season of, of suffering, and both have their, their value. The third question, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? It's interesting that this word "sick" in the Greek, it literally means to be weak or to be weary. There's times in the New Testament where the same Greek word is translated to describe physical ailments, infirmities in the gospels. But then in the book of Acts, the same Greek word is to describe being weak in faith. So this word sick is encompassing a lot from the original language. Yes it is physical illness but then it can be absolutely being weary and be wore out. If you come tonight and you say man I am just weary. I am weak. I am tired. I feel like giving up. Guess what? The next following instruction is for you. Or you might be saying you know what I am sick. You know I I have this chronic pain in my life, or I I caught a cold. What what are you doing at church when you're contagious? No, I'm just joking, just teasing, right? Could be something big, something small, cancer, Parkinson's, You, you fill in the blank, physical or internal, weak, that's what it's speaking to. What are you to do, what am I to do? We'll all be in this place at different moments in our lives, Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Calling for the elders in those moments of weakness, in those moments of physical ailments. Notice that it is elders plural. It's not one singular elder that has the gift of healing that then's propped up saying, ooh, you, you, you need to have Pastor Bob pray for you. Because when Pastor Bob prays for you, the holy healing anointing comes out of Pastor Bob and, and you're healed. Why would God say get elders, plural? Because the elders are praying together and if God chooses to heal, who gets the glory? Not a particular elder, but God gets the glory. So it is important. I know it seems like a small detail but every detail is important in scripture. You know, get two or three elders together and ask them to anoint you with oil to to pray for you now what's the anointing oil maybe you're new to the scriptures you're like this church is getting weird you know i don't want anybody putting oil on me (laughs) is it coconut oil avocado oil i mean olive oil does it have to come from jerusalem is it motor oil what's the kind of oil here that they're well we don't want to tell you 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 got to figure that for yourself (laughs) no it's not the kind of oil that matters, and that it's not for a medicinal purpose. It's not that this oil is going to heal you when it's been placed on you, but oil in the scripture is symbolic. When you look in the Old Testament, when an individual was being separated, consecrated for the work of God, they would be anointed with oil. And in fact, it would be poured over their head, and for men, dripping down their beard. And it was saying that their life was belonging to God for God's service, but also it represented the Holy Spirit. The oil pointed to the work of of the Holy Spirit. I believe that this is put in here in Scripture to be practical, to to test our faith a little bit, to say if we'll take that practical step of faith, to ask to be anointed with oil, if elders of churches will, will take the time to anoint with oil. So how does this work at Rocky Mountain Calvary? You've often seen at the end of services that the pastoral team and ministry team is, is available here in the front for those that would like to receive prayer. And any time you see us, you can ask us, hey, I'm weak, I'm weary, I'm wore out. Could I be anointed with oil? Absolutely. Here, I, I got this diagnosis. I've got this sickness so I can't shake. Could, it, could I be anointed with oil? And we'll take a little drop of anointing oil, put it on your forehead or on your hand. We're not gonna dump it and give you greasy hair and all the, all those type of things. To be obedient to, to God's word, to lift you up to the Lord and ask that God would work in your life. Don't ever let anybody charge you money for this. You know, if you're, if you're watching TBN, you may wanna just stop watching TBN. But if you're watching TBN and there's, Some preacher on there that's saying, you get the holy anointing oil, you're guaranteed to be healed, send in your 99.99 that's tax-deductible gift and you'll get this special oil, never mind. Don't ever let somebody try to, to, to rip you off. The churches should pray for you and anoint you with oil in God's name. In verse five, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. So that prayer is to be in the name of Jesus in the character and the nature of Jesus. It's to be the prayer of faith. And God says that it'll save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, is this a guarantee that every time somebody is anointed with oil, that they're physically healed in this life? No, it's not. It's not a guarantee. We know that we're instructed to pray according to God's will so pastoral leadership elders of churches individuals all of us when we're praying we should be praying for God's will lord is it your will to heal this person if it's your will would you please heal them are there places in scripture where god chose not to heal yes in 2nd timothy 4:20 a man named trophimus was sick in miletus trophimus is sick in miletus And then in Philippians 2, Epaphroditus was ill and almost dead, and he was visiting Paul. Paul himself had a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12 that God chose not to remove. What we've seen in this particular church family is, as we've anointed people with oil, that sometimes God has chosen to heal supernaturally. But then there's other times where God has chosen not to. And then sometimes God gives the ultimate healing and takes somebody to heaven. Do you know that's the ultimate healing? And that is an answer to prayer for the healing. So that's faith. That's saying, Lord, we believe that you have the power and the ability to heal. And we're asking if it's your will that you would heal. But also, Lord, we trust that if you choose not to heal, that you have a plan. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? We studied it a few weekends ago. We'll pick it up again this weekend. They stood up to Nebuchadnezzar and they said, what, we believe God can bust your chops. We believe that he can deliver us from this fiery furnace, but if not, we trust him. But if not, we trust him. That's the the prayer of faith. The end of this verse is interesting. It says, "If, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is a big if here. You'll come away with a wrong understanding if you think all illness or all weariness is a result of sin. That's not always the case. The rain falls upon the just and the unjust. Sometimes people just get sick. These bodies were not meant to last forever. They're gonna decay. They're gonna go from a state of order to, to disorder. But are, there are times where a physical sickness or weariness could be a result of sin. In Mark chapter two, we see a paralyzed man being lowered from the roof. Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and he says, son, your sins be forgiven you. His greatest need was for his sins to be forgiven, not to be healed from being paralyzed. God ultimately healed him as well. Sometimes God in his love and his wisdom will do things to get our attention because of our sin. And it may involve our our physical beings as well. We shouldn't be in that place of trying to sort this out for people. You know, we shouldn't be stamping on people and saying, oh, the reason you're sick is because you're in sin. The Holy Spirit's alive and well. Holy Spirit's gonna clearly communicate to somebody. And be really careful. Satan loves to use the scripture to condemn. Some of you right now are going, oh man, I I made a mistake 15 years ago and now I, I have this chronic thing going on in my body. God must be punishing me because of my sin. We know that God corrects because he loves us, and a loving father clearly communicates why he's correcting. So, so, so God's gonna make it really clear if there's sin in our lives and that's resulting in the illness. Are we loud and clear on this? So sometimes illness can be a result of sin, but not all of the time, and the Lord's gonna clearly communicate that. In verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer or the earnest and persistent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pastor Rafa did a great job this weekend teaching about the one another's in the Bible. And he really challenged us, yes, to have a heart for the community and for the nations and to make disciples, but also to make sure that we're loving one another, serving one another. So part of our relationship with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ is to confess faults, trespasses, one to another. The word confess, it means to agree with or to profess, So when we confess to God, we're agreeing with God, saying, God, this is sin, this is wrong. I realize that this breaks your heart. When we confess to one another, it should look something like this. You know, this is a sin in my life, this is a fault in my life, and briefly describe it, would you please pray for me? We're not at this place of brokenness if we're making excuses you know? Well, the reason I'm this way is because so-and-so. No, this this is, I've got to own this. I got to do that hard work of, of looking to the Lord and confessing that fault one to another. In Proverbs 28, verse 13, it says, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So if you cover your sin, if you cover your trespasses, it's never gonna work out. But if you confess and forsake, it's so important to forsake that sin, guess what? You'll have mercy. What would you like? Door number one, mercy. Door number two, will not prosper. I'll take door number one. But it's very painful, isn't it? It's very, very painful. What would motivate us? What would, what would move us? to take this step of faith to be honest with another brother or, or sister in Christ. And I believe that it is conviction over sin. I want you to turn with me back to the book of Ezra in the Old Testament. Ezra chapter 10, and we see a wave of brokenness coming over God's people. So Ezra's in the Old Testament. It's after First and Second Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. Ezra 10 verse 1. To paint the picture a little bit, the children of Israel had been in captivity for 70 years because of their idolatry. God opened the door for them to come back to Jerusalem and build the temple. The wall hasn't been built yet around the temple. The temple is completed. We see Ezra's leadership. And the children of Israel are already starting to engage in sexual sin. They're already starting to marry other nations that didn't serve the one true living God. And their pattern is, is once they started to marry people that didn't serve the one true living God, they went down this road of of idolatry. Now try to put yourself in Ezra's shoes. He sees what sin costs them. He knew the pain of captivity. He knew the joy of seeing the temple being rebuilt and now he's watching Israel go down that same path once again, And let's go to chapter 9, verse 3 first, and then we'll get to chapter 10. When he hears of this sin, when he hears of this trespass, in verse 3, So when I heard this thing, I tore my garments, my robe, and plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. Now, when we hear of sin amongst God's people, let alone in our own lives, a lot of times we're not convicted. A lot of times I'm not moved. I'm pretty calloused. I'm not seeing the danger of sin and how it hurts the heart of God and it's going to destroy my life and other people's lives. It's hard enough to have a real sensitive heart about sin in my own life, let alone to be concerned about sin amongst the, the body of Christ. It's so easy to have it go in one ear and out another that that's not what Ezra did. He stopped and he heard this and he began to weep. And he begins to rip his beard out and rip, rip his hair out and tear his clothes, all an outward sign of how this sin was, was affecting him. Could it be that we don't experience revival, we don't experience refreshment, we don't experience God moving amongst the church as a whole throughout our country because there is no brokenness over sin? There, there really isn't this kind of heart response over sin. Ezra doesn't preach. Ezra doesn't write a blog. Ezra doesn't do a podcast. Ezra does this in chapter 10, verse 1. It says, now while Ezra was praying, and while he was confessing and weeping and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered together him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. Ezra is so broken. One man is so broken. He gets to the house of God, and he just begins to pray, and he's not going anywhere. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And he's weeping. He's not trying to produce some type of change. His heart is simply broken before God. And people start to look. And they realize, Ezra is broken before the Lord. And a large assembly starts to gather. And the people start to weep. Their hearts are convicted. And then notice what they start to do in verse two. And Shechaniah, the son of Jeel, one of the sons of Elam spoke up and said to Ezra, we have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the people of the land. Yet now there's hope in Israel in spite of this. And the rest of the chapter is them doing some very hard things to deal with sin. Sounds like in verse two, they began to confess trespass and faults to one another and forsake sin because their hearts were broken by sin. And that's the place that we've got to get to in our lives is to stop making excuses, stop saying it's big, stop saying it's small and realize this is sin before God. It breaks the heart of God this is why Jesus died. And I'm more concerned about being right with God than what people think about me. It's no big deal to go and open up to someone else because I want my fellowship with God restored. And I'll do what's necessary through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll forsake sin because I want to be right with God. Turn with me to Psalms. Thirty-two. We also see this brokenness in David's life. Psalms 32. In the middle of your Bible. Psalms 32. This is after David got exposed for his adultery and murder. He thought he could cover his tracks. He thought he could hide his sin. God revealed his sin through Nathan the prophet and he pins two Psalms. Psalms 32 and Psalms 51. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Here's the change. I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Don't hear condemnation. Don't hear that God's not gonna forgive you. He brings it to the light so we confess to him and receive forgiveness. We share with other believers so that we have prayer support. God provides the healing. God provides the, the, great, the breakthrough. But notice the brokenness in David. David. It's like when I hid this, when I kept silent, I was groaning. God's hand was was heavy upon me day and night. My vitality, my my life was sucked up. I was a walking dead person. He's a child of God. But he was walking in that disobedience to the Lord. And this is a miserable place for us to be as believers, isn't it? When we're hiding our sin. And God, in his love, he's putting his hand upon us. And if you're in that place tonight, decide now. Decide right now. Quit the wrestling. And begin to be honest with the Lord and determine to to be honest with one another. Consider a few things before we go on to verse 16. Let's put our attention back into James 5, 16. Is first, let's, like we mentioned, stop pretending we're all broken sinners that need to confess, This is for all of us. We will all be at those moments, many moments in our lives, where we need to acknowledge our sin. So don't think that somebody will not have to do this. This is for all believers. If we don't want to confess to others, we don't really want to change. If we want to keep it a secret, then we really don't want the change. We really don't want the healing. We don't want the deliverance. We're really expressing, I want to stay in my sin or a delusion of pride. I can handle this myself. In this confessing to one another, share with the right person. Use wisdom. Men, you should be sharing with men. Unless it's your spouse, then share with your wife. Women, you should be sharing with godly women. Unless it's your spouse, share with your husband. So many people have been led to greater sin because they're confessing their faults to the opposite gender. They're goozing out their heart, oozing out their heart, whatever you want to call it, and before you know it, it leads to more trouble. Does that make sense? Men ministering to men, women ministering to women, unless you're, you're married. Share with the right person. But also share with someone that you can trust. There's some responsibility in verse 16, That when someone confesses their fault to you, that's a treasured gift. You don't respond in condemnation. You don't respond in how could you. You don't respond in, well, let me fix you. What's our response? We pray. That can be hard to do because we all kind of want to settle into Dr. Phil. Do a little bit of Bible Answer Man and... Here, here's this verse for you. There's, there's a place for that. There's time for that. But this person's in brokenness. They're in humility. And God calls you to do one thing, and that's pray for them. So share with somebody that you know is going to pray for you at that moment, but then also moving forward. They're in your camp. They're in your corner. They're not going to forget. They're going to continue to pray for you. This part of this verse that says the prayer of a, of a righteous man avail, avails much. This is... Righteousness in Christ, not our own righteousness. So God has given us the righteousness in Christ. So, so go to another believer. They're not trusting in their own righteousness. They're trusting in the righteousness of Christ. However, you can get stuck on, well, I don't have the right person to share with, so I'm just going to continue in isolation. Oh, you can find the right person. It's not a perfect person. It's just the right person. Determine that you're going to share Also, I think this challenges our belief in prayer. Do I believe that there is value in having another believer or two, or three or four or five, praying for an area of sin or struggle in my life? I don't know about you, but God is so faithful in this. When we humble ourselves, confess before God, confess to other believers, many times there's a great work that happens in that process. And to know I'm not alone in this. And I have people that love me and care for me, and they are praying for me. It's so much better than isolation, but it challenges our view of prayer. Do I really believe that it's going to make a difference? Is there maybe a work that I'm missing in my life because I haven't asked for prayer. It's very difficult to ask for prayer. It's very difficult to confess faults. And maybe for some of us, you go, you know, I've done this. There's this particular struggle in my life, and I've confessed it to others, and they are praying for me, but I still don't have complete breakthrough, and there's times that I still fail in this area you do not know what your life would look like if you never confessed it and you never asked for prayer. It, you really don't know. If you continue to hide it not share with anybody, that sin monster would have just continued to grow worse and worse. There's free refills on this verse, you know what I'm saying? You know, it's it's not like you just struggle in one area and fall in that one area one time and confess it, and you're like, well, now I'm good to go until I get to heaven, right? You you might, we might be confessing a fault in this particular area many, many times in our lives. I personally think this makes for a really healthy church and a really healthy family, If you can have the humility to go to your church family and your biological family and say, you know what? Would you please forgive dad? I just lost my temper. And I am sorry for that. And I'm not going to make excuses for that. And would you please pray for me? That's a healthy way for kids to grow up. The Christian life is not that you never make mistakes. And if we don't have humility as parents to to own our mistakes even before our kids in an appropriate level, then they're going to think, well, if I can master Christianity, then I'll never make a mistake. Our church is strong and will be even stronger if we can allow the Lord to break this pretense of don't ask, don't tell. Don't ask me how I'm really doing. And I'm not going to tell you how I'm really doing. I'm going to be open. I'm going to be honest. The people of God, God's church, the ecclesia, is a place that we can, with one another, confess our faults and know that we're going to pray for one another and see God do that healing work. The example is Elijah in verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. This is First Kings 17 through 19 and I love that the scripture says Elijah was just like us. He had a nature just like us. He wasn't an avenger. He didn't have some special abilities. He wasn't Captain America or any of that stuff. He was a normal guy that had a sin nature that loved sleep, Right? What's the enemy to prayer? Sleep. I'm really intending to pray, but then I fall asleep. You ever wanted to, to pray and then you get distracted with all the things that you need to do all the time, right? It's so difficult to pray because the enemy knows how powerful it is. And, and Elijah, he had all those same struggles, but he pressed through, he prayed faithfully, he prayed persistently, and God stopped the rain for three years and, and six months. Israel's an arid climate. It needs rain. Without rain for three years and six months, it would be dry to the bone. God was expressing his judgment on the children of Israel for their idolatry. Elijah walks up to the Car- Mount Carmel, challenges the prophets of Baal. God answers, sends down fire from heaven. Elijah prays earnestly. We, we, we see Elijah getting in a desperate position before God, crying out to God in prayer at the end of 1 Kings 18. And there's a little cloud that develops. And that cloud turns to rain. Elijah prayed. And God responded. And the encouraging thing is, is then we do find 1 Kings 19. Elijah, after all of that, gets extremely discouraged and runs for his life. And God meets him in that. It shows us the power of Prayer. In verse 18, he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if someone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his ways will save the soul from death and cover a multitudes of sins. This idea of wanders, it's one who's missed the path and is hopelessly lost. Have you ever gotten lost out into the woods? You don't know where the path is. Maybe it gets dark. That's the idea here. Someone's wandered from the truth. This is not speaking of evangelism, but restoration. It's speaking of revival, not redemption. This is someone who's saved. This is someone who knows Christ as their savior, but they've wandered from the path. In your relationship with God, have you ever wandered from the path? You're like, how in the world did I get here? And how do I get back? Peter, the apostle, the disciple was in that place and here he was going back to fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is making breakfast for him and John, his buddy, his lifelong buddy, grew up fishing with him, says, hey Pete, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. And that's all Peter needed to hear. And at that point he jumped in, swam to the shore and he was restored. That's what these verses are talking about. This is loving one another enough to go to a brother or sister in Christ who's wandered off the path that's struggling out in the midst of the Sea of Galilee and redirect them back to Jesus. Say, it's the Lord. Return back to your fellowship with the Lord. It's worth it to reach out to somebody who's in sin. It's scary. Rafa, again, he talked about this this weekend. If you you missed the message. It's very important if we endeavor to do this that we do it with humility. Jesus told us take the log out of your own eye and then go deal with the speck in their eye. Do you like people messing with your eye? Please be gentle if you're going to mess with my eye, right? So someone's wandered from the truth. We go in with great gentleness. And then in Galatians 6, one it tells us, if any man's overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I know my own sin nature, my own struggle with sin, and I'm approaching them with gentleness. But notice what happens. The sinner's turned from the air of his waves, and his soul is saved from death. Think about a believer that's headstrong on a path of sin. If another believer comes to them in love and redirects them back to Christ, fellowship with Christ and fellowship with the body of Christ, they have gotten off of that pathway of death. They've left their their pathway of error, and now they're close in fellowship with, with Christ again. I believe, by God's grace, this could be happening right now. There's some of you, as a believer, you've wandered from the path and you found yourself in things that you never thought you would, and not me, my voice, but God's voice is pleading with you, saying, come back. Go back to your first love. Jesus is waiting, Jesus is inviting, Jesus is saying, come and dine. Make that decision, and you'll be spared from the error of your way, and then if you're in this process of restoration, what do you do? You cover a multitude of sin. In 1 Peter, it says this, above all things, fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sin. They're not on the path of error any longer. They're back on the path of truth. So guess what? It's now between them and the Lord, between you and them, and you don't broadcast it. You don't go around going, oh, you'll never believe what they were doing, you know? They used to teach Bible studies, but they got themselves and then and then I went in there and straightened them out, right? <laughs> Woo! Love covers. Love covers a multitude of sins. Noah's sons. Noah's drunk, he's naked. First son comes in, pfft, <laughs> goes and gets his brothers. Now, if you have brothers, that's completely feasible, right? <laughs> The other two brothers come in and they they don't want to look at dad's nakedness and they walk backwards with a blanket and they cover dad's nakedness. This is not excusing sin. 19 and 20 of James. This is going in humility. This is going in love. This is seeing someone repent and turn back to God and when they do that, it's at this place of love covers a multitude of sins. So let's respond Desire just for this Wednesday night to be a little bit different. We're gonna enter into communion. But also, the pastor's gonna be available here in the front. Ministry team's gonna be available in the front. And if you say, you know what? I am just weary. And I cannot shake it. My soul is crushed. I need Jesus to restore my soul. Come and ask to be anointed with oil. It may not have anything to do with the physical and it's completely internal. There was a time in my life where I was wore out and weary and I knew the right answers and I tried my best to, to get my internal space where it needed to be. And I would for a moment, but then I would slip back into this discouragement and weariness. And ultimately, it was only the Lord that, that could, could bring me out of that. And that's humbling, isn't it? That's not a fun place to be in because we like to think of ourselves as I can get myself out of, out of this discouragement. And you may be a leader here at Rocky Mountain Calvary. You may be strong and people look at you at being strong. But again, this is being real. And you're saying, I'm weary. Come and receive prayer. Ask to be anointed with oil. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're battling cancer. And you want to be anointed with oil. We don't know what's going to happen, but we want to be obedient to Scripture. But then, probably the most difficult is if you're in a place where you know you're in sin, you know you're in a trespass. And as we read the book of of Ezra, you started to feel that stirring of the Lord. And there was some softness there. And God was beginning to take that hard heart, cause it to be of flesh. And the whole service, you've been wrestling and you're saying, I'm not gonna tell anybody. This was was a good message, I get it, but God and I can solve this one. And I'm not gonna confess my, my fault. And I would encourage you to respond. Come down, find somebody on the ministry team. Don't have to go into a lot of detail. Say, This is where I'm at. Would you pray for me? No one's going to condemn you, no one's going to counsel you, no one's going to recommend books at this moment. They're going to pray for you. Maybe you need to turn to somebody sitting next to you. Let's allow, by God's grace, the sanctuary to become a place of ministry. And you you turn to someone next to you and you say, you know me. I know you're gonna pray for me. Here's my fault. It may be pride, it may be lust, it may be sexual sin. It doesn't matter what the sin is. What matters is that conviction of the heart. And I can guarantee it's going to be worth it. I think this is a first, but I also want to give you permission and blessing to use your phone during church. You may have a really good friend that you can reach through text. And as we go to worship, I want you to text them. Because they're your John, they're your James, they're your... You've walked life with them. But don't wait. That's the important thing. Because if you're like me, by the time you get in your car and go to sleep tonight, you'll talk yourself out of it. You're like, that confession stuff, that's for the birds. That's like getting a root canal. I'm not going to sign up for that. So respond to what God's doing in, in your heart and life. Let's not be in a hurry. Ministry team, pastors, elders are going to be available. Take advantage of it. Respond to what God's doing in your life. Let's trust his word. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, you know that we fight this. You know that in a lot of ways, we respond the same way as Adam and Eve, and we're hiding but yet there's a part of us that wants to be found by you. We're tired of hiding, tired of the guilt, tired of the shame. And as we enter into communion and we enter into worship, would you move in our hearts? May there be a brokenness over sin. Would we stop making excuses? may we desire to be right with you and may out of that flow a tremendous humility. Lord, I think it's, it's hard for us to also believe that you could heal physically, but we see it time and time again in the scripture, you're not limited. and Father, we wanna seek you right now. If you wanna bring physical healing tonight, Lord, we just ask that you would do that for your glory. Not even primarily for someone's comfort, but for your glory. Would you meet people in their physical struggles? Lord, I know that there's many that are weary. They are just wore out and they've tried to shake it and they can't. And some battling discouragement and depression. And we know by your stripes we're healed. And as we open up with one another about our weariness, that you would bring healing and you would bring deliverance. Father, would you wake us up to the power of prayer? When someone asks us to pray for them, may we take that seriously and really believe that you hear us and that you respond. So have your way. We give this time over to you in Jesus' name, amen.